Hi, my name is Ernest, and this is my wilderness moment. I am still in the wilderness, and I'm in the wilderness each and every day that I rise uh, because I realize the importance of what I'm learning while being in the wilderness. I attribute that to life. I had parents. Uh, my parents were broken. Uh, I never had a relationship with my father, so I really don't know much about my father. Uh, I don't know his story. All I know is my mom did the best that she could, even in that brokenness. But the best gift that she gave us all was getting us to church. She was a believer, even though she uh, worked in a nightclub and uh, had addiction issues. She still loved Jesus. And because of that love for Jesus Christ, she got us to church. We didn't always pay attention. You know, kids often get distracted. But being in the house of the Lord and learning and being open to the Holy Spirit really changed everything in the world for me. Because in many ways, he was my father. Um, he was the father that I had hoped for that would accept me for who I am and help to mentor, guide me, and encourage me to make better choices in life. And uh, what I chose was, is I chose to get out of the misery. And in doing that, it empowered me as an individual. I learned that people are broken. We all are, even myself, and it's hard. But with that in mind, still, you know, I strive to continue to learn to love Ernest because I was very good at loving everybody else, but I needed to focus on loving me. And in loving me, I would encompass being able to have the tools and the skill set, mindset, to be able to love others the way that it was meant to be. And because of that, uh, I really kind of focused on Matthew uh, chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 1 through 11. And it was all of the ones that said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those that hunger. And blessed are the merciful. And blessed are the pure and the peacemakers. And so forth and so on. And as I focused on those, like we focus on the Ten Commandments, I learned that it would help me to understand more, to be a better person, to see people in a better light, to treat people the way that I want to be treated, and to forgive my enemies, which is really, really difficult. Uh, when the Lord said to love thy enemies as thyself, you can't possibly do that without loving yourself. And then when you throw in a, a life coach and a therapist uh, for now probably 10 plus years, uh, it has tremendously helped me to evolve, to become, and still becoming, a better earnest. And I'm truly grateful for that. Can we give God some praise for the way that he's been meeting people in the wilderness in this season? I don't know about you, but I've been encouraged. I love the stories that we've been able to tell. And I love Ernest's story in particular because he says, I'm in the wilderness right now. We said, pick a moment. He says, my moment is now. I am still a work in progress. And my hope and my heart is that we would get better at telling stories like that, the kind of stories that say, I might not be completely healed, but God is still healing me. You know? The kind of stories that say, I might not be where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And I'm holding on to this promise that God said that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. So if I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I could not be more uh, excited to, to get to speak into your day today. And it's so good to be with you this surprisingly frigid and cold Valentine's weekend. And if you're at home, uh, I just want to take a moment to say you are so welcome here. We are so thankful that you're worshiping with us. And uh, I don't know exactly where you're watching from, but I do know this, that God is with you, God is for you, and God is in this moment. He's doing more in your life than you realize, and he has a word for you this morning. And for those of you in the room, the few, the proud, the people who braved the storm to come sit in this room and actually see the word as it goes out, I want to say thank you. Snow days in church are the best because whoever's here really, 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 really wants to be here. If that's true, can you say amen? Amen. amen. I love the enthusiasm. And I actually want to start today's message by making you wait. And maybe you're thinking, wait for what? And that's a valid question, but I'm not going to tell you the answer. We are just going to wait. So can I get the countdown up on the screens, please? Let's wait together. It's kind of hard to wait when we don't know what we're waiting for, isn't it? It's kind of hard to wait when you don't expect that you're going to have to wait, when you all of a sudden have to readjust your expectations, where you're caught off guard and you expected a whole lot more structure, but the moment that you find yourself in actually has no structure and you're just suspended waiting for something that's unnamed. It can be kind of jarring. Just by a show of hands, how many people are just oddly just okay and you thrive in seasons like that so we got a few of you who are just like i i don't even care there's nothing that you can do mr preacher man that's going to get in the way of me having a moment with the lord i came here through the snow i got my coffee and there's nothing that i can do but to just enter into those moments together so we had a few people like that good for you must be nice what about the rest of us what about the rest of us who are just like you know what actually a little structure would have been helpful you know what, that moment actually kind of sucked for me because I didn't know what to expect. And you said, wait, and then all of a sudden there's this countdown thing and I didn't even know what we're counting down to. This isn't the new year, dude. But the reality is that's, that's kind of how these moments work. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like seasons of waiting don't typically announce themselves. And it's not like we got a warning back in March 2020 that said, hey, just so that you know, in two weeks there's going to be a statewide lockdown, so be sure to go stock up on toilet paper and Top Ramen now because come March 23rd, those shelves are going to be bare. The only thing that's going to be left is single ply, and it's going to be terrible. <laughs> just wanted to give you a heads up so that you could get your head right, you could get your heart right, and you can enter into this season and maximize this moment. That's not really how seasons of waiting actually happen. 
They don't ask for your permission. They impose themselves. I was thinking it's kind of like the Kool-Aid man. He just marches in whether you like him or not. He's there. He announces his presence with a bang, and all of a sudden there you are in the presence of waiting. And that's kind of what makes it so hard, what we actually got to experience here together and at home it is actually pretty simple because we actually had a countdown so we knew exactly how long that moment was going to last. And don't get me wrong, those seasons are hard too. It's hard to wait even if you know what you're waiting for and when it's going to happen. Just ask an eight-year-old on Christmas Eve. It doesn't matter uh, that they know when Christmas is coming. It's still hard when the presents are under the tree and you want to unwrap them. But harder than waiting for something that you know and waiting with the countdown that's attached to it is waiting when there's no countdown. When you don't know how long the moment is actually going to last and you don't actually know what's on the other side of it when you're going to get there. And so just imagine, if you can for a second, if you came into church, the screens are blank. We said we're going to wait. I didn't tell you how long and you had no idea what you're waiting for. If you think about that moment, that's what it feels like in the liminal space. That's what it feels like in the middle. That's what it feels like in the wilderness. And this week I was thinking back to a trip that I took with my wife, Kristen, a couple years back. I guess it's been maybe four years now. Uh, we went to Disneyland, and my wife is like the biggest Disney fan in the world. She loves it more than anything else. You might think, Brian, you're exaggerating. I am not. It's like going to Disneyland, like getting married to, to me, and then everything else kind of like flows from there. And I guess the, the me thing, it just kind of depends on the day. I might be lowering the scale. But I'm just saying Disney is like the tops for her. She loves it. And don't get me wrong, I like Disney just fine, but here's my thing. I hate, I hate standing in lines. I hate it. And I had made it up in my mind to be this Disneyland adventure that we were about to embark on because their branding is so great. It's the happiest place on earth. So silly me, I thought it was a place that I got to go ride the rides that I wanted and eat the food that I've been craving. But in reality, what Disneyland is, is a place where you go standing in lines most of the day waiting for the thing that you actually came there to do. It's a series of ever-increasing lines where you wait to get in, you wait to get to the ride, you wait to get off the ride, and it's just this waiting, it's just this middle. And, and we know about the fast passes, we read the blogs, but no matter how much you work the system, it seems like the system always has a way to work you and you find yourself in another line. And at some point, the most helpful question that you, can that you can ask in those moments isn't how are we going to avoid the lines. It's actually what are we going to do while we wait? What are we going to do while we wait? I want to call this message what we do while we wait. Because no, we're not at Disneyland right now, but it does kind of feel like we've been standing in a line for the last 12 months just waiting to get to whatever's on the other side, just waiting to get to the end of whatever this season has been to whatever the next one is. It, it does kind of feel like we're in the middle because we're still in the middle of this pandemic and we're still in the middle of racial tension. We're still in the middle of economic uncertainty and we're still in the middle of political tension. We're still in the middle of whatever frustrations and grief and stresses that you're bringing into this season. We're still... 
in the middle. And we're in the middle of this series where we're following the Israelites through their journey in the wilderness. And for those of you who are new, uh, or if you haven't heard the, the Exodus story, um, this, is, this is kind of where we're at. For those of you uh, who don't know, the Israelites have been brought out of Egypt. They've been brought out of their bondage and their slavery. They've been brought through the waters of the Red Sea through the mighty hand of God, but they'd still yet to experience the promised land that they were waiting for. So they were still in the middle. And uh, we're, we're going to read a story out of scripture um, this morning. But before we do, I just want to pray for us and pray for our time together. So would you bow your heads? Holy Spirit, you are the God of the middle. You are the God of, God, the, the, the moments in life that feel tense to us, where there's not structure. You are there. You are shaping and you are molding us. And so, God, would you show us what it looks like to embrace the middle because we know that you are with us, to embrace the storms, God, because we know that through the storms, God, you have gifts that you want to give us. And so, God, we just, we just enter into this moment this morning. We just uh, declare all together, God, that we are so disinterested in just another story, another uh, bit of information that we can tuck into our pocket. We want to be transformed into your image and your likeness, God. We want uh, uh, to be reminded of your beauty and your grace and your love that has been poured out to us, God, that has just been absolutely lavished on us, God. We love you so much. And, God, we pray in this moment that you would overwhelm us with your presence and you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the Israelites are in the middle. They're in the middle of the wilderness, and they're, they're trying to figure out what to do while they wait for Moses, who had gone up onto the mountain to be with the Lord. And we're going to start the story. Uh, it's Exodus 32. It's called the story of the, uh, the golden calf. And we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to see if we can pull out some, some pieces to not just understand what happened, but why it actually happened. So starting in verse 1, it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses... Who brought us up out of Egypt? We don't know what's happened to him. So, just to recap, the Israelites had been fed by the hand of God. They'd been sustained through the power of God, and they had been led by the breath of God, by clouds by day and by fire by night. And Moses had gone up for a hot second. He'd been out of their, their eyesight, out of their conscience, and all of a sudden they're tapping on Aaron's shoulder, Aaron's brother, and saying, Make us a God. Like, it doesn't get more deliberate than that. Make us a God. I was reading this, and I was like, man, this thing really escalated quickly. It made me think of that fight in Anchorman where they all come together. All of a sudden, there's a pitchfork. It's like, how did this get to this point so quickly? This thing really escalated. But it's just crazy, as humans, how quick it is that we end up flipping. It's crazy how quick we can flip. Now, I say we very intentionally because this isn't just a story about them. This is a picture of us. This is what happens when we drift. We inevitably end up looking for other things to worship. And it's not just what happens to bad people. This is what happens to people, period, when they forget to pursue God in the middle. When we become so passive and apathetic with our faith, we start to drift. And when we drift, we don't drift towards God, we drift away from God. We don't drift towards holiness, we drift away from it. 
And in his book, Crazy Love, Francis Chan hits on this idea. It's, it's been such a, a powerful quote in my life. Um, and it just talks about kind of the essence of our relationship with God and how it works. And so I want to share it with you this morning. He says this. He says, if life is a river, then pursuing Christ requires swimming upstream. When we stop swimming or actively following him, we automatically begin to be swept downstream. So again, if life is a river, pursuing Christ requires swimming upstream. When we stop swimming, when we stop actively following after God, we automatically begin to be swept downstream. So it's, it's a simple idea, but it is powerful. And if you want to, to actually have a picture of what this looks like to be swept downstream, look no further than the picture of the Israelites. You know, it's not rocket science, but it's very helpful to understand which way the current flows. When we drift, we don't drift towards God. We drift away from God. And that's especially true in seasons of waiting. That's especially true in seasons of stress and in seasons where we feel like we have been stuck in line and suspended in a moment. I want to say it this way. Just because it feels like the world's been put on pause doesn't mean that we put a pause on our relationship with God. Because putting a pause on our relationship with God doesn't mean that we stay the same. It means that we start drifting away. And this is the first lesson that I want to pull out of this story. It's if we wait with passive faith, slowly your passive faith in God becomes an active faith in something else. This is just the way that it works. We get swept downstream. And if we wait with passive faith, slowly our passive faith in God becomes an active faith in something else. And in this particular story, that something else becomes a golden calf. And so I'm going to read in, uh, in verse 2. It says, Aaron answered them, Take off the golden earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. Aaron took it and uh, took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And, and what I find so curious about this part of the story is that Aaron doesn't even put up a fight. He doesn't even try and offer any resistance of any kind. He just kind of goes with it. He's like, yeah, let's do this. Bring me your gold and I'll make you a god. It's like, dude, at least act like you know what you're doing for one second before you just start following along with the crowd. But he doesn't, and they end up bringing all their finest jewelry to Aaron, and Aaron throws it into the fire and turns it into a really, 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 really expensive cow. And they bow down to it. But if we stop just for a second and think about the different mechanisms in the story, think about what's actually happening here, it's very simple and it's very predictable. At the end of the day, what happens is they, they take off their earrings, they take off their valuables, they take off all the things, the gold that they have, and they bring it to Aaron, and he changes its form, but they end up just bowing down to all the things that they value. You know, this isn't just a golden calf that was made out of nothing. This was made out of their earrings. So they take their earrings, they make it into a calf, and then they bow down to it. That's all that this is. This is a statue of their stuff that they end up worshiping. They are so desperate to find a God that won't make them wait any longer that they end up worshiping a golden cow that's made out of their earrings. And you might think that that's ridiculous to you. We do these things when we, we, we read old stories and we're like, I would never do that. I would never bow down to a golden statue. 
I would never do what they did. But at the same time, this is exactly what we do because God gives us gifts. And instead of worshiping God and thanking him for the gifts, we end up worshiping the gifts and forgetting about God. This is a story about what we do. We take the things that were valuable or that are valuable to us. And in seasons of waiting, when we're tired of waiting on God's timing, we start spending more time, more affection. We start putting more of our identity into those things. And this is the second lesson from this text. It's if we're not actively waiting on God, if we have a passive faith, we end up turning gifts into gods. We end up turning gifts into gods. And let me let you in on a little secret. Gifts make terrible gods because they always leave you wanting more. This is just true. If stuff, if achievement, if status is what you choose to bow down to with your life, it's only a matter of time before you get let down because gifts never deliver on the promises that they give you. It it, it makes me think back to this interview that I heard with uh, Tom Brady a few years back. He was on 60 Minutes and this reporter was asking him how it felt to win his third Super Bowl. It is just, he had just won this, this incredible um, Super Bowl and, and his answer to me was quite heartbreaking. He says, honestly, there's got to be something more than this. He says, this can't be it. This is a guy at the pinnacle. He had achieved every one of his wildest dreams and he says, this can't be it made me think of this quote from Jim Carrey that I just love. It says, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they could see that it's not the answer. I wish everyone could have the wealth. I wish everyone could fulfill all of their travel goals. I wish everyone could do all the stuff and get all the things that they've ever craved in their heart so that they could see that's not the answer for their soul. He's like, take it from me, a person who has been famous, from a person who has wealth. Don't bow down to stuff. Don't bow down to status because it'll never give you what you are looking for. If you want more peace, if you want more joy, if you want more fulfillment, especially in seasons of waiting, it doesn't come when you worship something you can make. It comes when you worship the one who made you. This is the true answer. But the Israelites end up bowing down to this statue, this golden calf. And if you've been here the last couple weeks, you kind of know the progression of of the story. They end up eating and drinking and and celebrating and dancing um, as they, they, they just love this new God that they had created who gives them everything that they want but nothing that they actually need. And God is still up on the, the mountain with Moses and he is just burning with anger towards them. But instead of destroying them, he shows incredible restraint and mercy. And if you get one thing from this story about who God is, it's that he shows incredible restraint. And our God is incredibly merciful. Even when we do all the predictable things that we end up doing in the seasons that end up crushing our character instead of shaping us the way that he intends. He still shows restraint and extends us a hand. And so while that's happening, eventually Moses comes back down to the camp to see the wreck that they had made. They were worshiping, they were dancing. It was uh, all the things that they wanted in the moment. And uh, what Moses does is he ends up confronting his brother Aaron uh, because he wants to figure out where things had gone so terribly awry. And starting in verse 21, 
he says to Aaron, he's Moses. So Moses says to Aaron, what did these people do to you that made you lead them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. So as these people, they said to me, make us a God that will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I, I told him, you know, whoever has any gold, take it off and bring it to me. And so they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and verbatim it says, and out came this calf. So they, 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 they gave me the gold, I threw it into the fire and out came the calf. What a passive telling of this story. Have you ever heard a story like this? Have you ever heard a story? It made me think this week, maybe you've told a story like this, but I was thinking of uh, Genesis 2 and Adam and Eve are in the garden and uh, they eat from the, the tree of, of uh, good and evil and all of a sudden they're hiding from God and God seeks out Adam and asks what happens and, and Adam's response is so telling. He says, well, well you know the woman that, that you put in here. So she, she ate the fruit, and then she gave me some of the fruit, and I, I guess I may have taken a bite along the way. I, I don't know. It just kind of happened. I was, I was there, but the situation happened to me. It wasn't me happening to the situation. I think back to this uh, moment um, when my, my childhood neighbor, Matt Jones, and I were playing um, catch, and we ended up... Uh, we ended up breaking the windshield of my parents' Suzu Trooper, and they, they asked Brian, what happened? And I said, well, here's the thing. So Matt's not the greatest aim in the world, so I guess we could start with that. And he heaved the ball towards your vehicle. And as we all know, softballs aren't as soft as the name would imply, and today the windshield found that out firsthand. So, so was I there? Sure, I, I guess one could say that I was there, but I was hardly at fault. It just kind of happened. And this is what we do. This is the stories that we tell to one another. And, and the real danger comes that if we tell the story over and over and over, all of a sudden we start to believe these stories are true about ourselves. You know, what we do is we tell these stories, and even though we were active participants, we end up taking passive credit for what happens. And we can't be sure, but I believe Aaron is so entrenched in this story that he can't even see that he's lying to his brother. He so thinks that he's the victim that he can't even see the problem. He said, they brought me the gold, I put it into the fire, and out came this calf. That's all that I know. This happened. This happened. And most of us have heard this story uh, or this saying uh, that, that says, don't trust anyone except for yourself. And I, it's a great idea. It's just like, you know what? You can't, you can't trust anyone for good help these days. You have to do it yourself. If you want something done right, do it yourself. I would change the quote based on my experience with people and with myself. I would say, don't trust anyone, especially yourself. Because if we're really honest, if you want to know who lies to you more than anyone else, all that you have to do is go look in the mirror. We do this incredible thing where we rationalize the stories and we rationalize the decisions that we make and all of a sudden we tell these passive stories that absolve us from any blame along the way. And we tell these stories enough and all of a sudden we start believing them and we're not fooling other people anymore, we're fooling ourselves. And these are the stories we tell. Friends, this is the third lesson and this is, this is a lesson in the liminal space especially but it's also just a life lesson. Be careful how you wait. Because if you wait with a passive faith, you'll end up believing your story more than God's story. You'll end up believing your voice more than his. 
And friends, if you're going to listen to one voice in the seasons of waiting, don't let it be yours. Let it be God's. If you're going to have one conversation while you wait, let it be a conversation with God where you say, search my heart, oh God. Test me and know all of my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in your way everlasting because Lord knows I need to be led, especially in seasons of waiting. Say, God, I know that your voice is where I find healing and rest and strength. So would you make it so that I trust you and only you? And maybe you've been trying, you've been asking God to, to give you direction over this season. You're like, God, I am here. I'm ready. Speak to me. Tell me which direction to go. And you're having a hard time hearing his voice. If that's you, I've got a challenge. Instead of trying to hear something new, what if you actually went back to the last thing that he told you to do and you just kept doing that? What if you kept doing that? It's not crazy. It's called faithfulness. And if I've learned one thing in the scriptures, it's that God loves a faithful people. What if we went backwards instead of forwards? Because sometimes we're so tuned in to God and asking him to ask us something new that we forget about what he told us before. What if we kept doing that? It's called faithfulness. Unfortunately, in this story, though, the Israelites are not faithful. And Moses grinds up their idol and he ends up making them drink it. So this thing that they were bowing down to, it, it gets turned into this, 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 this terrible drink that they have to consume. And they end up becoming the laughing stock. All their enemies are, are just laughing at them. They're, they're the laughing stock of the region. And, and maybe you read stories like this and all that you see is bad decision followed by bad decision followed by not taking responsibility, followed by bad decision, and then all of a sudden you're drinking your idols and you're just wondering, what is the point of stories like this? And one of the things that, that we have to realize about the Bible, and in particular some of the, the stories in the Old Testament, is that sometimes when you're looking for a point, the points don't do what they did. The point is, here's a picture of what it looks like to wait passively, and the invitation is to wait actively. Sometimes the point is that people are fickle, but God is faithful. Sometimes the point is in seasons of liminal space, we have to be active. We have to be moving towards God. We have to be swimming upstream so that we don't find ourselves worshiping a cow made out of our stuff that looks like all the things that we value, that looks like the tangible things that we crave in seasons where we need the intangible voice of God to direct us. And the invitation in these seasons is to move towards God in prayer to find ways to actually pursue him actively, to move towards God and the reading of his word. That's why we're talking about Lectio Divina. That's why we're talking about entering the narrative. Those are active practices so that we can swim upstream towards God. We need to actually move through seasons of liminal space, clinging to the promises of God, like Ernest at the beginning, because I know that our God, if he starts it, he's going to finish it. Our God will actually be there through the middle and if he starts something, he is going to be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. And we move towards God when we realize that waiting time is never a wasted time when we wait well. You know, I, I want to start, start moving towards um, the conclusion with this idea. I was thinking about the essence of waiting and what God actually is doing. And it got me thinking about this story in Genesis. And I don't know if you guys have ever picked up on this, this little piece, but 
um, what happens is that God recognizes that it's not good for man to be alone. And so he decides to make Adam a partner. But rather than meeting the need immediately, instead he actually tells Adam to go out and work. He says, Adam, go out and I want you to name all the animals and all the birds in the earth. And if you think about how long that would take, it wouldn't take like an afternoon. Like that is a season of work that he gets assigned. And stick with me because this is important. What that means is that there's this season where God sees a need in Adam's life. And God names that need, but God does not meet that need. And I remember reading that and I was thinking, why would God see a need? Why would God acknowledge a need and God not meet the need in the moment? And what I realized is that there's actually a purpose in the waiting. And what God was doing is he was actually growing Adam's desire for the gift. If he would have just seen the need and met the need, Adam wouldn't have had a season where he could actually grow his desire so that he could appreciate the gift that God was going to give him. You know, all that we did was ride rides all day and we never stood in lines. The rides would cease to be quite, quite as sweet because there's something about getting to the end of the line that makes it this beautiful moment. Because it's in the waiting time that God actually increases our capacity, not only to appreciate the gifts, but to hold the gifts. To, 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 to actually see all the beauty that God has designed them to be. And I wonder in this season, I don't think this is all that God's doing, but I think it's something that God's doing. I wonder in this season of waiting that we're experiencing right now, if God is welling up appreciation in our hearts for some of the simple gifts that, we had for take, that we'd taken for granted. I wonder if in this season of waiting, God is increasing our appreciation of hugs and smiles without masks and getting to be with our family and friends in close spaces. I wonder if God is actually uh, welling us up with the correct amount of desire so that we can see the goodness of the gifts that he wants to give. I wonder if he's reminding us that even in seasons when it feels like we're stuck in line, he's still with us every step of the way. You know, it's funny when when I realized that Disney is just mostly lines and when Kristen and I started asking the question, what are we going to do while we wait? It actually changed our experience of standing in those lines. Because what ended up happening is we ended up making the most of the mundane moments. We ended up people watching and friends, there are some weird folks at Disneyland, let me tell you. We ended up having conversations because one of the joys of lines is that they slow us down enough to actually have a talk. So we started talking. We started talking about our future together. This was a few years back, so we started talking about girls' names and boys' names. We haven't needed any of the boys' names, but the girls' names sure have come in handy. We started to realize that, we're, that what we're doing is far less important than who we're doing it with. And aligned with somebody that I love is better than something that's just fantastic alone. And if you take one thing from this moment, from this message, from this story, is don't be so frustrated by the season that you're in that you forget who's in that season with you. Because you have a God who made you, who is ready to meet you in the middle. You have a God who loves you, who is desiring so greatly to have you talk about your future together. You have a God who is over all, who is waiting for you, not at the end of the line, but in the middle of the line every single step of the way. You have a God who wants to meet you in the mundane moments of life, and he wants to talk and shape 
and allow the pressing to not just be wasted time, but to actually allow it to do something in you that's going to prepare you for what's next. You have a God who wants to meet you in those mundane moments. You have a God who wants to talk to you. He wants to be in your quarantine pod. He wants to be in your everyday life. He wants to be speaking into the moments that you want to end and show you what he's doing. You have a God who wants to make sure that your waiting season isn't a wasted season. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we know that you don't waste anything. So God, we ask that you would allow this season of pressing and crushing to be a season that allows us to, to grow our roots deep. God, to, to seek you in new ways. God, we love you. God, would you move in our hearts? Would you capture our imaginations? God, would you allow us to see the things that you're doing? God, would you breathe purpose, God, into our lives and into these moments where we feel like we're standing in line and we're just waiting for what's next? God, will you show us not what's next, but what's now? God, we pray, God, that collectively you would work in us, you would do a new work. And God, when people see us, not just as individuals, but collectively as a church, they would see you. They would see praise. They would see worship that makes no sense outside of the context of you are moving in the middle. God, we love you. We say your spirit fall on us. We need your spirit in this season to guide us. We need you to speak in a way that we can understand. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing. Because we know with you nothing is wasted. Pray this in Jesus' name.